Hello Tailoring Talkers and welcome to Tailoring Talk with your host Roberto Rivilla, bespoke tailor and owner of Roberto Rivilla London Suit and Shirt Makers. The Bondathon rumbles on and I have the big Moonraker spoiler review coming for you this Friday with a few surprises, it's fair to say, for those of you who listened to the Spy Who Loved Me review. You'll know that we weren't really... Bothered's probably not quite the right word, but not enthusiastic about Moonraker. So tune in for that one. But before that, as regular Bondathon listeners will know, Richard Gore, who's been on a couple of the reviews, loves a good old fight on a train in a Bond movie. And he was really disappointed to have missed out reviewing The Spy Who Loved Me with us. So... Here's a little bonus as Rich and I met up in London on Saturday. So this was recorded live in Charlotte Street near my workroom. And uh, Rich and I grabbed a bite to eat and had a little talk about The Spy Who Loved Me. And I got some of his views on that wonderful film. Enjoy. So we're in... Where are we, Rick? We're in Ote, Ote, a little Turkish eatery just off Charlotte Street. Saturday, another Saturday morning with you, but a lot yep. colder than last time because last time it's, it was about thirty-eight degrees. Yeah, yeah. Well, last time, last time I was, it was when we came up and I was in my linen suit and we went to Crockett's. I had an aborted attempt at going to Christie's. Yeah. Um, and you yes, look, it you was, looked like an absolute baller in that linen suit as well. Yeah, yeah, I did strap my funky stuff in that. Totally. And you sat your funky stuff in it as well. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's a thing, but... But I did. Yeah, you um, did. Yeah, that was... And that was... Yeah, it was very, very hot. It is not that hot today. No, food and body cold. But um, we really missed you on the Spy Who Loved Me session. You were mentioned... I don't know if you've listened to that episode yet. Uh, not yet. But no. you were mentioned. I believe your failure in life uh, to not have watched Star Wars all the way through... <laughs> it was probably a topic of conversation. ...definitely came up, because there's always a tenuous Star Wars link somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or it might have been in the Moonraker. I get confused, because we've recorded them yes. so far ahead. But you were missed. And Thank you. I remember when we got to the fight on the train bit... Yep. That that's the point where I mentioned you and said something like, "Well, it's a shame Rich isn't here because he loves a fight on a train." Love a fight on a train. Love trains yeah. for a start. You love fights on trains in Bond films as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not just. Yeah, not, it doesn't have to be in real life. <laughs> um, so the spy who loved me. Um, does that? I know that you. Let's talk about the song festival because we actually didn't talk about the song enough because no one else liked it apart from me. Yeah, I know. It's it's just one of the, it's what it's up there. It's, it's, it's an amazing record. Um, Kylie Simon's perfect. I love the way they link in the um, I love the way they link in the so, uh, the title of the film into the song. Uh, I'm funny enough. I'm less keen on how it sounds in the film to um, how it sounds when you buy it elsewhere and you just listen to it and you just listen to it if you even if you buy the bond collection themes it's not the same version it's a different version um the music in the film was i was really interested in the music in the film because apart from the theme 
but um, there was loads of disco throughout the film. Very much so, yeah. It, I kept on and, waiting. And it sounded like, um, you know, it's that riff from the Bee Gees, no, 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 right? it was. I, yeah. was, I, was, I was going, they're going to break into You Should Be Dancing yeah, any exactly, second. Exactly, exactly. Um, it was pure Bee Gees throughout the film, and I'm like, yeah, this is definitely a product of its time, um, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, it was, I kept on listening going, this is disco, this is disco, this yeah. is disco. Um, which is quite, because, because James Bond has always been there for me, it's kind of timeless. Um, and I watched most of them when I was a lot younger, so I didn't notice, I didn't associate them with particular times. But with these, with these in the 70s and 80s, I really notice how influenced they are. Like, um, like, and we're about to move off the music, but like Roger Moore's flared suits. Oh my God, because it was in that gun barrel sequence. Yeah. And we were sat there and I said to Carolina, okay, it's the era of the flares. Because, yes. I mean, they took up lit almost all of that, the <laughs> lower right. portion of that gun barrel circle, didn't <laughs> yeah. they? Yeah. It comes yeah. wafting in. And I think, I mean, I, I don't have my notes with me, but I think on my notes I said, Roger Moore looks fantastic, as always, um, because he just does, yeah. and he carries a suit lovely. Um, but, and the flares aren't, they're not massive flares, but yeah, you can tell that they're flared, you can tell they're a product of their ties. Um, so that, that stood out for me, but yeah, the theme's brilliant. Kai Simon is amazing, always, um, as I've mentioned to you before. I, I like to think that um, the producers heard You're So Vain and then went, yeah, she'll do, because she's already talking about that. Yeah. Oh, which one's that? Which one's the one that's got mints? That one. one that's mine. Yes. Yeah, and that one with the cheese. Enjoy. Awesome. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the other... Um, uh, sort of standout thing from that film obviously is the opening sequence yes with the jump off the cliff yes yes of course and the union flag um, parachute yeah and I thought that set the scene really nicely actually um, well it turned Bond into and John mentioned this I think it suddenly turned Bond you know from sort of suave secret agent to superhero status yes yeah, um, while still maintaining, still maintaining that hard edge of having just killed somebody. Um, yeah, because the film overall was still kind of reasonably grounded. I mean, they yeah. had to. Have you re have you read the book? Because obviously the film's not based on it. No, I haven't. So the film's not based on it because they ran into problems with. Um, I think it was a rights issue. I can't remember exactly. Okay. You know the bloke who they had a problem with. Um, uh, for You Only Live Twice, I think it was. I can't remember his name, but they had the, an, another copywriting issue or something. Uh, okay. Or it was that Fleming had basically only authorised them to use the title, yeah. but they couldn't actually use the story because the original story was told from the Russian agent's yeah. point of view. Oh. Um, so it was an entirely new script. Mm. Um, and I thought they did a really, really good job because it's the first time they didn't really have the source material to work from. Yeah. How is that, by the way? 
Very, very, very good. Yeah, it looks very, very, very hot as well. That's it is. why I'm going to keep talking. Let mine cool down. Um, and, um, you know, and I thought from a story point of view, it was great. I mean, they obviously went back to the similar sort of theme of um, You Only Live Twice because, you know, instead of spaceships swallowing spaceships, it was, um, you know, ships swallowing submarines. Yeah. This sounds really dirty, but... I'm not talking in euphemisms. No. <laughs> but I thought, but I, I thought the plot and everything, the story was really good. I thought it was actually really well written. Yeah, I, I, I thought so too. And it was quite funny. I watched it. I watched it two or three times in readiness for us talking about it. And the first time I watched it, I thought, oh, that was boring. Um, but the more I watched it, the more I appreciated it. Um, it had a good plot, it had a good story, it was easy to follow. Um, I, I had an issue with, funny enough, I had an issue with the the, the spy who loved me, with um, the, the Russian, whose name I've forgotten off the top of my head. What, Triple X? Yeah. In that, they, they introduced her as a KGB agent, um, and sorry, KGB yeah, yeah. officer, right. and yeah. and it's very hard yeah. and yeah. proper KGB yeah. officer, and it yeah, yeah, yeah. is yeah. that's really yeah. good that they are showing her as that, but then quite quickly she becomes at least towards the end of the film she becomes just essentially another Bond girl all simpering over Bond and having Bond to protect her. And I felt that there was a shift in it and I didn't, I felt they didn't do that as well as they could. They could have kept her as a proper, As a proper strong character. Yeah, that's right. I mean, she was a KGB officer. Yeah, and she was a major as well, I think. Yeah, she would have been, A, a hard-nosed communist, or at least party line, um, and not afraid to kill people, um, easily as much as Bond. She wouldn't have needed Bond at all. No. Um, and she starts off like that. Um, I did like the beginning, the beginning bit where um, you see her in bed with her boyfriend. Yeah, and you assume the boyfriend yes, is the agent. and you assume the boyfriend agent. is the agent. And then they switch. Well, they were, he was an agent. Yes, because Bond kills him. Um, and I liked, I did like that, and I thought they made that point nicely. And they, they kept it going for a decent amount of time. I mean, she gets the upper hand on Bond more than once. Um, but then, as I say, towards the end, it was him rescuing her again. And I just thought, oh, you missed an opportunity. You, you let that slide and you didn't have to. But I thought she was a great character. Yeah. No, I thought she was as well. What did you think of the... Um, the villain, because you had uh, what's his name, Mr. Webb Hands, yeah, and uh, which I didn't notice until much later in the film. Actually, they they were very subtle with that, which yeah. I kind of appreciated. But it kind of made sense that someone who's trying to build this massive underwater yeah. Atlantis sort of thing would have webbed hands. But obviously, the star of the villain piece was Jules, mm. far and away. Yeah, I thought I thought the baddies were really good. Um, you could definitely see you could definitely see their um, influence on later films, and how that they and how they were similar in fashion to previous films as well. 
Bond is a great henchman. Uh, sorry, not Bond, uh, Jaws is a great henchman. Um, I can remember being terrified of him when I was seven. Mm, me first, too, first, me too. First time I watched um, Moonraker, maybe the reason I don't like Moonraker is I can remember watching it, much like you've mentioned, being plonked in front of the telly. It was me and my dad, my sister was in bed, my mum was out at work because she worked nights and we were watching that and then I got sent to bed and I can remember coming back down and going, I can't go to sleep because I've just seen Jaws. Huh? Um, Jaws scared me much more than Jaws, the film, did when As I then watched that with the, with the shark. Yeah. The shark film terrified me, I couldn't even have a bath. I just wouldn't want to go Jaws, to waterfall stop. Jaws with the shark is probably the greatest horror film ever made. It's it's so we we could have we could have a two hour podcast talking about Jaws because mm. there's so many things they did in there that they hadn't done in any film before. There's all the different relationships between the actors, but moving yeah, it's moving away. But Jaws, Richard Keel's, I think is brilliant. Um, I think it's just because he was just such a unstoppable force. Yeah, that's right. Um, and Bond probably hadn't met anybody like him before. Um, I mean, Oddjob was probably the closest. Yeah, Oddjob was probably the closest. Um, but Jaws kept on going. And what's nice to know is Richard Keel was a really nice guy, apparently. Yeah, he was. Um, everything, everything I've read about him said he was lovely. Um, he used to he had his family on set like they'd travel with him on location yeah no he just seemed really nice so. yeah no he yeah it's it's, it, it's really funny because watching it as an adult and, and also because you know in me and Raker they then soften the character and they become allies yeah um and that's the other reason why I'd encourage you to I know when we were like who's coming for Moonraker and you were like nah um and Phil was like, nah, as well. But the problem for Phil is that he started this thing with me. He needs to finish it. Um, but, but there are some subtleties in his performance that I think you appreciate more as an adult than you did as a child. So I would strongly recommend watching it again. And also the fact that... Um, so that, you know, there's, the thing to look out for is when... The, the villain in Moonraker, Doctor whatever his stupid name is, um, is is uh, announcing to everybody what his nefarious plan is. As all Bond villains do. As bo- all Bond villains do. Jules recognises in that instant that he's not actually going to be part of that plan. And it's the audience is with him in that moment when he has that realization. Richard Kill's performance yeah. is brilliant. Um, no, it sounds good. And the other reason why I'd encourage you to watch it is it's actually held up really well. Because the special effects were Oscar nominated and only lost out to Ridley Scott's Alien. Yeah, that's like losing Schumacher. You know, that's, yeah. that's not bad. Um, so um, so yeah. So then back to the spy who spy who loved me. So let's talk about gadgets. Um, no, let's talk about the car. <laughs> Another one of those cult um, Lotus spray. Yeah, exactly. You know, it made it into the film just because someone from Lotus basically parked one outside the production offices. Yeah. Um, which was. What I love about things like that is you get the impression that those sorts of things wouldn't happen now. 
basically somebody in Lotus went, hang on a minute, we want our car in this, what's the best way to do it? Can't get them on the phone. All right, I'll just drive down there then, see what happens. They're a major, major company, um, but still making cars in the shed in Norfolk. Um, it's incredible. Um, what I like about that was that the, um, was that the stunt drivers couldn't get it to spin. Um, so they, um, they went back to the Lotus guy who delivered the car and said, we can't get it to spin. He went, hang on then, come with me. And drove it at, I think the quote was suicidal speeds around the road and got it to slide. Um, but yeah, I get the impression though that James Bond producers don't quite appreciate how good cars are because they had the same problem with the DB9 in um, Casino Royale where when they're going through Millbrook um, they, they thought that if they just did like Yelp test they'd flip an Aston Martin and they couldn't they had to stick a rocket underneath it to get it to flip over um, and then same thing with the Lotus they went well we can't get it to slide well, no that's because we bought a decent sports car um, but yeah it was great um, love the Lotus underwater bit mm, I can I can live for that it was a bit silly no, it was cool though it's it was like cool. you know one of those um, you know moments class, iconic film moments mm. from childhood and so on and when he comes out and does the, you know, the typical more thing of dropping a fish out the window yeah um, no it's brilliant so where um, in the overall grand scheme of things if you think that you'd not seen any Bond films after The Spy Who Loved Me, where would that rank for you? Ooh. Messy Secret Service still up there. Um, probably third or fourth. Messy Secret mm -hmm. Service and Live and Let Die would be above it. Above it. Any of your Connery films that make yeah. it into. Number three. Like this. Goldfinger is amazing. Yeah, Goldfinger probably. Okay, so this would be about four yeah, in four. your top. I top think it's four. actually ten by this time. Yeah, yeah, this would be Because this four. is a ten for me. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think it's really good. Um, and going back to the Lucas thing, what... I mean, the whole just driving it to Pinewood Studios and leaving it there is, is classic. I mean, Tolbert got in touch with Lotus and went, Aya, we'd like to do some rallying. Could you help us develop the sunbeam for rallying? And Lotus just went, how much money have you got? This much? Yes, well, give us all your money. Thanks. Here you go, here's a 2.2 litre engine. Off you go. And they didn't help with any suspension or anything else so all Tolbert did was dump this 2.2 litre engine into a little hatchback and off they went and the Tolbert Sunbeam Lotus is classic iconic car that doesn't handle at all it just goes really fast in a straight line yeah like, in, like a renegade Tesco trolley <laughs> that's right that's right um, and, the, and the same with um, the DeLorean um, John DeLorean when he wasn't doing other things with money that he got off British government um, went to Lotus and said can you help me develop this car because I want, want to build a sports car in Belfast which is of course what people of Northern Ireland wanted in the 80s um, and Lotus again went yeah sure how much money have you got yeah, okay give us all your money here you go here's the Lotus XL use that and another thing Lotus used to do 
was um, to avoid type approval. They'd call their car the same names, but slightly different. So you had the Lotus Eclat. Like the Esprit, the Elise, the... Yeah, well, you had the Lotus Eclat. Then you had the Eclat XL. Then you had the XL. Three completely different cars, but with the same name. So they could turn around to US type approval and go, oh, no, it's the same car. Really? It looks different. Yeah, look, it's got the same name. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, lo I love things like that because you you don't imagine that sort of thing happening now. Um, two guys in their shed building these amazing cars. Colin Chapman was a genius. Um, and Rosie shares her birthday was Colin Chapman. Um, so, yeah, it was, I, I like that. And I like that I like that they used a British car that wasn't Aston Martin. Um so yeah, I love the fact it's a Lotus. Yeah. Um, so when you when you join us for the Spy Who Loved Me, mm -hmm. it would be great before we get into that if we could get your five minute hot take on Moonraker. So okay. will you put yourself through the crater? <laughs> and um, but I promise you, it won't. Hopefully, it won't be as painful because we were pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. And um, and also you get to see George get the jaws again. So. George? Jules. George. <laughs> George is what he calls himself when he when he's on his days off. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, and we'll we'll get your sort of verdict on it because it'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much else. No, I mean it's been a long time since I've seen it, so we'll give it a coke to see what I think. That's all I can ask for. Yeah, and I can't I can't um, insult it if I haven't seen it. Exactly. Thank you, Rich. No problem. I'm going to let you finish your, I don't even know what it's called, but it's no. a Turkish sandwichy sort of thing. Hope you enjoyed that little bite-sized bit of Bondathon there ahead of the big event on Friday. Stay tuned for that. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And also, it helps so much if you'd rate and review the show. And don't forget, you can get in touch either via the Instagram page or tailoringtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Have a great week and see you at the end of it for Moonraker.